Well, good evening. It's good to be with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. And um, I'll give another plug for Vacation Bible School, walking down the halls. It is, it is amazing. And we're so thankful for the hundreds of volunteers that are volunteering um, because it's an important week in the uh, week of our church, a year of a church. Because uh, so many families who don't go to church or have come to church a couple of times will be here. And it's a great opportunity to minister to the families and the children that will be here. And my children will be there too, so I'm excited for that. So, uh, We are continuing to walk through the book of Proverbs this summer. We are excited about that. And we'll, tonight we'll be in Proverbs 16. Start us off with a story that I know that many of you can relate with. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were coming back from the beach and as we are leaving, um, my navigation ways and Google said about eight hours. And as we got onto I-65, it said about 12 hours. Uh, there was a bad wreck in, in between the beach and Birmingham. And so, um, as many of you do, I asked Google and Waze for additional routes. And Waze gave me one that only made our trip just 30 minutes longer, not two and a half hours or three hours longer. So we're like... Let's do it. So this was going to take us off the interstate and through the back roads of Alabama. And as we were driving through the back roads of Alabama, at times it took us through some interesting neighborhoods through Alabama that I didn't know were there. At times there were, I hadn't seen a car or a human or even a gas station for a long time. And we didn't have cell phone service. And at one point I asked myself, my goodness, do I really trust ways? Was this a bad idea to go off on this? I got my family out here in the middle of nowhere with a half tank of gas. If something happens, we get a flat tire. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And I'm trusting this little app to get us home. And though I thought about turning back multiple times, Waze did end up getting us home. Ended up getting to see all the little towns of Alabama that I probably wouldn't have my whole entire life. And uh, now I completely understand the Alabama fan base. Um, it's a football joke. But thinking back on it, we were completely reliant on ways to get us home. And I share this story because in our journey in life, there will be times, if you haven't asked already, maybe you're in the middle of nowhere per se, where we will ask just the question I asked about ways. Do I really trust God in this situation? Can he be trusted? That's our question tonight. Can I trust God with my life? And our passage tonight, um, Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 4, not only tells us that we can, but it tells us why we can trust God with our life. So let's go ahead and jump in and read Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of God. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer to the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege of coming in your presence and engaging with your word. We ask that you would soften our hearts and illuminate our minds to receive your truth and allow it to penetrate deep within us. 
Help us to grasp the significance of your words and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, our passage sets up nicely for a nice, clean outline. If you like clean outlines, tonight is for you. In the first two verses, the author gives us two statements about what, why we can trust the Lord and not ourselves. If you notice in verses 1 and 2, it contains the words man and Lord in both verses. It also has a conjunction in both, the conjunction but in both verses, comparing and contrasting man and the Lord. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. And then in verse 3, he gives us application. There are two verbs connected by the conjunction and. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So our outline is this. Why can we trust the Lord with our lives? Well, first, the Lord is sovereign over the best of our plans. The Lord is sovereign over the best of our plans. We find that in verse 1. Secondly, the Lord is sovereign over the depths of our souls. The Lord is sovereign over the depth of our soul. We find that in verse 2. Therefore, we can submit our lives to him. We find that in verse 3. So let's look at verse 1. The Lord is sovereign over the best of our plans. The verse says, the plans of the heart belong to man. The word plans here, little translation is arrangements. It has a sense of careful thought through plans or careful thought through arguments. So this verse acknowledges that we as humans have the ability and responsibility to make good plans in our lives. It recognizes our capacity to set goals, make decisions, and form intentions based on our desires understandings and circumstances. Man's plans in this verse refers to our own strategies, ambitions, actions, decisions, and desires for our lives. And we make these decisions and strategies in our life based on our own knowledge and based on what we think God wants for us in our lives. I remember uh, towards the end of college and right after college, first couple of years out of college, uh, my friends who had meticulous mapped out career path, they had specific goals, created a detailed plan and diligently pursued it with the aim of um, achieving much success and advancing in their profession. And they invested years in their education and training. They made a lot of sacrifices. They worked hard to secure a job during college and they even climbed the corporate ladder. They strategized each step and networked with influential people and made calculated decisions based on their own understanding and their own ambitions of what they wanted for their careers. This is what our verse is talking about here, our plans. And we do this in almost every area of life. Some of you have done that, planned out your summer with your kids. I've talked to you about it. However, the verse says this, the plans of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. While humans can make plans, the verse reminds us that the ultimate outcome, the guidance and authority comes from God. God's sovereignty means that he has the final say and will guide our paths according to his perfect, uh, perfect wisdom and his perfect 
purpose. Going back to my friends in college, they had goals and plans and they set out in that direction. But what our verse is saying is the Lord who opens and shuts those doors. It's the Lord who causes economic shifts and changes directions. It's the Lord who ultimately decides their careers. Bruce Walkie says, people design what they say and do, but the Lord decrees what will endure and form part of his eternal purposes. The Lord is sovereign even over the best of our plans. So you're probably saying, okay, Brett, I got it. We make the plans, but the Lord decides the outcomes. He's sovereign over all of our actions. But how does that make me trust him with my life? If I'm being honest, that's a little bit scary. And I get it. It is scary. But take a closer look at this verse. I almost went right over this. This says, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The answer originates from the Lord. When the Lord is in all capital letters here, it means the original is Yahweh. It's not just a general name given to God or a higher being, but it's his actual name. So the answer of the tongue is from Yahweh. It is he, Yahweh, who is the final outcome. And who is he? Well, he tells us. The Lord passed in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. It says, the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgressions and sin. This is who he is. And this is good news. The final outcome of our actions is from Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We can trust him with the outcome of our life and our plans and our actions are because of who he is. Now, I get that it's easier said than done. I myself get stressed over a lot of different things going on in life, decisions like finances or school decisions, whether we should move or not with the mortgage interest rates, decisions about kids' activities, decisions at work. And when we're stressed about these things or we're unsure about these things, sometimes we get anxious, we worry, we try to manipulate situations or we hold on to things really tightly with our hands. A counseling professor says, anxiety always comes when we feel out of control, when we feel like it's not in our reach or we can't control the situation. But what the Lord is reminding us here in this passage, the outcome in life remains and lies with him and him only. And we can rest in his character and the promise given to us in his word. The Lord is sovereign over all of our plans, the best of our plans. That's the first verse. Let's look at verse two. The Lord is sovereign over the depths of our soul. It reads, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So this language here shifts from plans or actions to our spiritual lives. The word pure is usually used in sacrifices of incense or olive oil in Exodus and Leviticus. And sometimes it's used to describe someone's righteousness. So it says, 
the ways or the path of the man life is on. We've been talking about that a lot in Proverbs. The path the man's on is pure and righteous in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirit. The word weighs means measure, to judge or discern. And he's measuring, discerning our spirits, which means our motives or our hearts. There's two incredibly important things we have to pick up on here. One, we aren't good judges of our own hearts spiritually. We're not good judges of our own hearts spiritually. Without the Holy Spirit pricking our hearts and convicting us of sin, we will assume that we are pure. We'll assume that we are righteous. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Sometimes we can be blind to our own sinfulness. Um, Back right out of college, I came on staff with Campus Outreach, and I used to go into fraternity houses and lead Bible studies. And it's the most interesting thing I think I've done in my life. And I, I remember I used to get there early just to hang out, talk, play ping pong and stuff. And I remember the conversation was so funny. It was about bragging, really about their sinfulness, about the parties, the alcohol, the girls. And then we would go right into Bible study. It's kind of a, a whiplash there. And then we would start the Bible study. And in the middle of it, I would say something like, I think we can all agree that we're all sinful, right? And some of them would look at me like I would just insult them in a significant way. And I remember one of the guys who was leading the charge before talking about their sinfulness. And he said, no, man, why would you think that? And it shocked me. And it always reminded me when that would happen is that we as humans, we really do think that we're good, that our sinfulness isn't that bad. I know that's a fraternity and an extreme example, but we struggle with it too as Christians. Sometimes when we go to church and are moral or lead a a Bible study or we grew up Christian or even if you work on staff with a Christian organization or if you're a pastor, we can fool ourselves in thinking that we are righteous people. It's the other people who are sinful. We don't necessarily are sinful anymore. Back when we were saved, we were, but not necessarily anymore. So... um, this really reason resonated with me a while ago. I was reading an article by Tim Keller, and in it he said something to the effect that even while we are praying a prayer confession, it, we, we can be sinning. We can be sinful even when praying a prayer confession, if we are praying with sinful motives. When I read that, it opened up my eyes to how sinful we really are. Even our righteous acts can be as sinful as filthy rags. It's amazing how sometimes we are blind to it. So when we aren't good judges of our spiritual condition. But also the second thing is important that we notice. The Lord is the only one who can discern our hearts. Because he is the Lord and he is righteous. He is not deceived by our hearts and by our sinfulness. He weighs the motives and intentions of our hearts with perfect justice and discernment. He discerned whether our actions are driven by righteousness, selfishness, pride, or genuine devotion to him. God's weighing of the spirit ensures that justice is upheld and that our true character is revealed. 
This verse serves us as a reminder that we cannot deceive or hide anything from God. He sees the true nature of our hearts and he weighs our motives and tensions against his perfect standard. And what that does for him is that moved him towards us in coming to this earth and living a perfect life and going to the cross and dying and conquering sin and death and pushes us to him. So what does understanding these two things mean for us? Why can we trust him? Well, one, this means that we cannot trust ourselves with our own salvation or our own spiritual lives. We are so sinful, we can't even discern our own hearts. We are in desperate need of his righteousness and not our own. That's why when we come to know him, he takes away our sinfulness and he transfers us to us his righteousness. Not that we can earn our own righteousness or even being prideful of our own righteousness, but we give it away and it goes to the cross and he takes, we receive his righteousness. So that's the first thing. And two, as we are growing in our relationship with Christ, the best thing that we can do is commit all we do to the Lord and depend on him to make our motives and ways pleasing to him. I teach one of our inquirers classes and one of my points is this, is we are so messed up that we need God to save us in our salvation and we need him and that we're dependent on him to grow us, to sanctify us. So the Lord is sovereign over the best of our plans. The Lord is sovereign over the depths of our soul. And thirdly, in our, our application, therefore we can submit to him our lives to him. We find that in verse three. When I was just out of college, uh, one of my supervisors asked me a question that was re- really pivotal in my life. He asked me, Brett, do you think you're okay with failing? And my answer was, of course not. <laughs> of course I'm not okay with failing. And he said, I'm asking this because I wonder if, if, you, if there's a trust issue going on. You don't trust God with your work. And maybe you aren't trusting in God for your own righteousness. Maybe you're not okay with a fail. And he was right. And his observations were right on. I was a workaholic. I had a lot of pressure. I could, uh, you could see it on me to get things right. I hated when things were getting in my way of our goals. When I failed, I worked two times harder to make up for it. And when I thought through this question for a while, I realized that I didn't trust God with my work. I wanted complete control of the results. That I completely found my worth in my work. I wanted that to be my righteousness, that when things went well, I did want to take responsibility for it. And when things didn't go well, I didn't want to be associated with it. I started reading through the book, uh, The Pressure's Off by Larry Crabb. And this is uh, 16.3 was one of the verses that I meditate on a lot. It talks about it. It reads, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The word commit here means to roll onto, uh, upon, to put all of your weight onto something. It gives a sense of finality there. So we want to put all of our weight onto the Lord. So in other words, because the Lord is sovereign over the best of our plans, 
And because the Lord is sovereign over the depths of our soul, we can give over all of our work, our decisions, and our life, and our spiritual lives, and rest it all onto him. That's what it means to commit our work to the Lord. We can do this by trying to follow him, but at the end of the day, we can trust him that he will do what is best, right? We can put all of our weights and worry on these areas, our family, our finances, our schooling, our work, our health, our marriage, our singleness. We can give it all to him. We can rely on God's provision and faithfulness in our work. Trust that he will provide the resources, our opportunities, our support that we need to fulfill his purposes. We lean on him in times of challenges and setbacks and uncertainties, knowing that he is with us and that he's working all things out for his purposes. And we can rely on him spiritually. Instead of finding our own righteousness in our own life, we can find it in his. We can rest in the, our, our work, not in our work, in our morality, in our record, but we can rest in his. When the verse goes on, second part of the verse says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That's an interesting way to say it, but establishing our plans means the promise that is attached to this verse is when we commit our work to the Lord, our plans will be established. This doesn't necessarily mean that our plans will always unfold exactly as we envision it will, or that we will achieve immediate success or worldly recognition. Instead, it assures us that when we align our plans with God's will, he will bring about his purposes in establishing our paths according to his perfect wisdom. I looked back at one of my journals back when I was uh, thinking about this verse. And I wrote down this statement. What does it mean? I wrote this around this question. What does it mean to commit my life to Christ, to surrender to Christ, to, to commit my work to him? And I wrote this down after journaling it. And I thought back to it. I hadn't thought about it in a long time. And I love it. This is what it means to commit our work to the Lord. Surrendering to the Lord is this. Instead of asking the Lord to bless my work and my plans, by surrendering my work and my plans to his purpose and his plans, knowing that he's a good God. It's a shift there. We have our own vision for our life and our own strategy. And instead of asking God to bless that, we align our own life with his purposes and his plans. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift and the strength to trust you with our lives. Would you daily remind us of your goodness, of your character, the promises that you have in your word for us, and the sovereignty that you have over all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.